Hello and welcome to Open All R's QPR podcast. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes, back from a sort of impromptu, unofficial sabbatical uh, where I just couldn't quite watch a full 90 minutes of games. Uh, and I am joined this evening by Mr Paul Finney. Oh, Mr is it? Hello. How you doing, Hello, Paul? Flo- Actually, you know what? I'm all right. I'm all right. Is it the same as anyone else in this horrible climate of madness, but yeah, I'm all right. And uh, back as well after his own two-month sabbatical is Clive Whittingham from Lost Words. Hello, Clive. Hey, how are we doing? Not bad. And you are wearing the lovely new special edition uh, away shirt, third shirt, what are we calling it? The special edition one. I hope it isn't just a one-off. Like They should wear it more often. I think it looks great. I don't actually remember buying it. I think this was a drunk decision on the day of the Cardiff game. But uh, yeah, I'm going to use it. On dating apps, I think. You'd be swimming in offers. Look at it. 95th minute winners will do that to you or make you make rash decisions. When you do that again, Clive, if you don't mind ever so much, can you put my address on it? Then you won't remember you sent it to me. Heads up. What, the shirt or the dating apps? (laughs) No, the shirt, mate. Yeah, yeah. We were having a a little pre-pod discussion, listeners, about the quality of QPR shirts over the years. And I think it was pretty much a a consensus that the one that Clive's wearing, this special edition one, is by far the best we've had in a very long time because there's been some pretty dodgy kits, including uh, some pretty dodgy away shirts. Someone who's not dodgy, Mr. Ben Kosky, is also joining us, uh, who has got a book out, but we'll get to that later on, but uh, is more known for working with the Kilburn Times. Thanks for coming on tonight, Ben. Thanks, Flo. Thank, thanks for inviting me on. And I really wondered what you were going to say, though, with that intro about uh, <laughs> being dodgy, but uh, it all worked out OK. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I hope I hope it didn't uh, worry you too much. Um, so you have got a book out, which is about QPR, which we're going to get onto a bit later. But uh, talking about the games first, came back from international break with a bang, two games in quick succession, which uh, makes total sense after players have been playing on international break. So first of all, Watford game, we'll start with that one, which was on Saturday. One all draw. I think everyone felt like a pretty decent performance. Um, Ben, were you there and and what was your assessment of the game? So I wasn't actually at the uh, Watford game. Um, I was at the Rotherham game, um, which followed, obviously, and was uh, very cold as well, I have to say. Um, But uh, by all accounts, uh, Watford performance was uh, certainly one of the better ones, I think, when when we saw that early goal go in with pretty much zero defending. Probably everyone feared the worst, but um, team came back uh, pretty well and I think uh, certainly had the better of that draw. And then the thing is, I, I said to people, you know, that only becomes a good point if you follow it up against Rotherham. And uh, although it was a little bit heavier work than I think anyone would have liked, um, three points uh, duly bagged. So four out of two. Yeah, I think most people would say that's that's a pretty decent return. Clive, I know in terms of Watford performance, you were in a similar uh, thinking to, to Ben about it was fine, but it had to be followed up with three against Rotherham. Yeah, it's only a good point if you then win the Tuesday game. And obviously that's where we tend to fall down, the game that you're meant to 
perform well in and win. And earlier in the season, we did perform really well and should have won at Bournemouth, just as we did at Watford, really. It was poor finishing at Bournemouth and a combination of that and the referee at, in the Watford game. Um, and then after Bournemouth, we followed that up with that Preston game when we would just didn't really turn up and lost 2-0. So it was good to see us go out, play so well in the first half, at least last night, and build that lead that we just about hung on to. I mean, I, I don't want to go through that second half again uh, in a hurry, um, but that, that's just how we are, isn't it? It's never easy. Vinny, what for game? Pleased with that? Pleased with the point? Frustrated not to get three, though? No, I, I, to be honest with you, I'd have taken four points um, at a drop of a hat from them two games. It was interesting. I don't know if Clive, have you seen it or Flo or, or Ben? There was a great footage of um, Ben Foster did a, a little cam behind his goal and of, of him coming into the ground and all this malarkey. And he was just like, oh, I love this ground. It's a proper football ground, blah, blah, blah. And I think they came thinking they were going to absolutely turn over. And by the end of it, he was like, so glad to get a point. And that's the biggest compliment you can get is when a team flat like Watford can come to Loftus Road and walk away feeling that they've just survived and, and, and been happy with the point. So it was a good performance. It'll be even better when we can have two good halves. But that's asking too much. Because last night I cashed out because I needed one more corner and one more goal and I thought it ain't going to happen and I cashed out. And thank God as well because it was the best decision I made and the best 50p I ever earned. So... <laughs> You know, it's it's good. Listen, if if we if, the trouble is, it did feel a wee bit like we could. You know, they got back into the game. It was a wee bit squeaky arse and all that malarkey. But at the end of the day, it's four points from two games. We can go into the Brentford match one point behind them. We've got a great chance of, you know, maybe doing something at Brentford for the first time in God knows how long. I feel quite confident that we can go there and, and actually give an account of ourselves. And the last time I felt that it all went per ship. So hopefully that won't happen this time. But no, both performances are good. Willock looks class. Um, Dykes just needs to get into the area a bit more and I think you know we're, we're almost there it's just finding that 11 that's going to kick on but the only thing that still worries me is the defence because we don't seem to make a mind that whether we're man marking or zonal marking or just panicking Yeah uh, Finney you will never fail to put all your hopes and dreams on those Brentford games every season always I know. always I'll never learn. you it's never learn your lesson don't, don't get your hopes up it's, it's like from away you know you go into a pub you get smashed <laughs> You abuse all the Fulham fans walking down the road. You think this is going to be our year. You walk in, 30 <laughs> seconds later, you're 1-0 down. It's really annoying. But if we didn't have hope, we'd have reality. Very wise. You and, do <laughs> um, Clive, I know you've already touched on this a bit in your um, piece that you did about last night's game. But on the Watford game, one of the few times I think we've seen Warburton make good use of the subs... Um, they had a real impact in the second half, but that didn't quite work out last night. Um, what happened, do you think? Well, I want to make it clear that you said that he doesn't use his subs well enough because I've already had one bollocking off Mark this year. And I, I, I think I think he was becoming a bit like, I made the comparison and um, Finney, put your fingers in the ears, but Maurizio Sarri at, at Chelsea, where the fans by the end literally could name the time and... The, the, the player that was going to be coming off and who was coming on. Whereas this season, we've got so many different players now that he's trying to try out and see how good they are. You, you won't be having that. So at least that was a bit of a change. Whereas last season, it was, you know, chair will come off and all chair will come on now. And it was too predictable. Whereas there is a little bit of changing things up now. He can do that with his squad. I think the, the, the two games we've had this week, 
against Watford, each substitute made us incrementally better. We just got every one he made, made us better to the point where we ended up forcing that equaliser. And then last night was the complete opposite. And every every change we made just made a spiralling situation spiral even further out of control. I have some sympathy with him last night because by themselves, I thought each of the subs made sense. Um, mm. Willock, I thought, was great. And I thought we stopped passing the ball when he went off. Um, but as I said to someone on our message board the other week when they asked, why does he keep taking a domer off? Do you think he wants to keep taking a domer off? Do you think he wanted to take Willock off after an hour last night? I, he obviously didn't, but he's been told you know, Willock can only do an hour. So Willock does an hour and goes off, which is a shame because I thought he was our best player in that first hour, apart from Bright, maybe. Um, and we stopped passing the ball after he'd gone off. But if he's been told he can only do an hour and he ignores them and then plays him for 90 and he gets injured, you if you miss three or four weeks at the moment, that's 10 games, the way the fixtures are. So I can see why Willock went off. Then it's who do you bring on? And is Adoma going to chase around and do high press probably not so you bring Bon on who does that a bit better and also that's going to up front to try and chase that killer fourth goal just as they're opening up a bit at the back so I can forgive that Bon then came on and just didn't do what he needed to do he kept running in behind getting caught offside when he needed to drop off and hold the ball to get us up the pitch and you could see Kake and Hammerline and in particular like sort of physically beckoning him towards them and waving their arms around and fuming that they didn't have an option to pass to and that Hamelina suddenly started giving the ball away after playing well for the first hour. So then he brings Carroll on. And again, I can see that because Carroll played really well at the weekend, pass completion and all of those stats that people get excited about. Would Carroll was number one in all of them in the Watford game. So you bring Carroll on to try and restore that passing the ball and getting a foot on the ball. I can see that because we'd stopped passing. But then right at that, he takes Jeff Cameron off to do it, who's obviously a physical player, good in the air. Jeff was probably baggage by then as well. So I can see why he went off. But bringing a tiny little player on, just as Rotherham were basically going all out, Millwall, Neil Harris, three up front, everything in the air, that made us weaker again. Um, he brings a domer on to try and like break us out of that. And he doesn't get a touch, but... I can kind of see why all the subs were made, but they made us incrementally worse and made that last 10 minutes even more terrifying than it was already going to be. But am I the only person who would like to see Kelman get a go? Because I'd like to see what he can do, just to give him 10, 15 minutes. I know he's young enough. He's only a kid though, anything. And like, I mean, I've never seen... I've never seen Kelman play. I think QPR sometimes you can become a better player by not playing. It's like Paul Smith and Ryan Manning. It's used to happen to Ryan Manning a lot as the team was crap. For weeks and weeks, people would be like, why isn't Manning playing or why isn't Smith playing? Um, no, Manning stats were actually... You could become the answer by not playing. So I've never seen Kelman play. He's only a kid. No, but Manning's stats were actually back up the fact he wasn't a bad player, as some people would make you believe. But again, not the Messiah either. It was kind of... But that's where all our players are at the moment, isn't it? No one's able to... I mean, we're trying. I mean, I thought Cameron was quite poor last night in a lot of ways. And we, 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 we know the shape for our... When we concede, our ship goes completely out the window. And I don't really know what we're doing sometimes defensively. And I'm, I'm going to stop worrying about it because I'll end up with Valium and it won't end well. Um, but going forward, we we just... Don't you think we just need a few games where it sparks? 
But because the game, the trouble is as well, the games are so thick and fast that you don't get time to enjoy the victories as a, as mm. a side. Yeah. And you, you're into the next game, do you know what I mean? So you can't, no, no one so far really can get a run going. Bournemouth and Norwich apart, who's, who seem to be really starting to pull away now. Um, it's 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 just this division all over. But yeah, the games are too, I mean, I don't know how players are going to cope with this. But I, I mean, you think Saturday, Tuesday, Friday, that's insane. I mean, that that for any club, supposedly on smaller scores, losing money, the Football League aren't helping. Ben, you were there last night and you obviously get a much better sense of the the game's dynamics and that momentum switch. So what was it like being there? And we mentioned the subs. Did you get a sense quite quickly that that was the wrong decision in terms of how the game started to play out in front of you? And also the bench. Was there a, a nervousness, a visible nervousness on the bench when things started to go a bit awry? Got, got to be honest, uh, I actually felt the substitutions were, were not that uh, that absurd. Um, I felt there was a lot of sense, for instance, in bringing Carol on for those last 10 minutes just to someone to keep things simple. Um, try and, I suppose, you're taking off experience in Cameron and, and you're bringing on some experience there in Carol to try and manage the game, basically. Um, and Macaulay Bond, I feel a little bit sorry for um, because I I think that doesn't look like, like a, a comfortable position for him where, where he was or what he was required to do. But I do think he's one of those players that definitely needs to play with a, with another forward or, or off another forward. Uh, I mean, on the occasions he's started off leading the line, he really doesn't look that sort of player. Whereas I think possibly if he's, if he's actually playing behind a striker rather than, I think, in that wide role, I think sometimes you, you can get too kind of bogged down with the formation and sticking to the formation. And sometimes I think... It's, it's square pegs in round holes, isn't it? And maybe last night was a case in point. Just just change the system a bit. Maybe Bond comes on to, to play behind Linden Dykes rather than trying to go out wide and, and do that job there. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely, as, as we, we'd all agree, it was a game that looked, it, it looked very comfortable at one point. And then suddenly you felt they're getting sucked into Rotherham's game here. And uh, we've seen QPR teams in the past throw away points in, in those situations. So maybe we should look at it as a positive that I guess by hook or by crook, they did manage to hang on, did manage to, to bring the points back or keep the points, I should say. Yeah. And I guess um, that, that mentality is, is an important part of it. I think Rotherham were very unlucky as well, not to get a penalty. I thought that was, that was pro- probably a penalty and it, it could have been three all. Lyndon Dykes, uh, four goals, four penalties. How do we feel about his impression so far? Clearly works hard, but hasn't necessarily got much from it yet. I know, Clive, we were talking about there's almost two Linden Dykes. There's the Scottish version and then there's the Aussie version. And perhaps we're getting the Aussie version at the moment. Um, I don't know how you guys feel. Anyone wants to jump in? Uh, yeah, start running out to Flower of Scotland, maybe. Just try and... try. I know the words. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why I know the words to Flower of Scotland, but I do. Carry on. He was it's a good answer last good night, answer. I thought. Um, I thought he played quite well. I just... When he's um, when he's playing for Scotland, he just seems to be constantly on the move and charging around and banging into people and winning headers. And he did do that a bit more last night. Whereas for us... I don't know. He just doesn't look as happy, almost. If I can, if I can put it that way. But 
yeah, a bit, bit better from him last night. A couple of lovely sort of receives and hold up and lays and turning people into space in the first half, um, which is, you know, that's that's exactly what we need from him. So, yeah, a bit better. Could do with a goal from open play. I don't, it's hard to tell on the stream whether he was pulled back or whatever. And it, like the quality of the streams at the moment is particularly poor. I mean, I've never, I spent all of last night, it felt like looking at Paul Wall and I've never seen so many long lingering cutaways of a manager on the touchline. I've seen him more than I've seen my mum this year. <laughs> um, so it is difficult to tell, but Dykes, that's, that chance at the end on Saturday, on the angles we had, looked an absolute sitter. Like, it's such a lovely cross of Carroll's. Just needs a, a goal from open play, really. But, yeah, I'd, the penalties are good. I think the thing is, you, you can tell he's got it, and you can say maybe he's not good in service or whatever. But he's also, at the moment, not making them runs. But that comes from confidence. Open play, a couple of goals from, from that, we'll see that confidence. Because he doesn't seem to be going in the right places. But... It's always hard when you play one forward. Whether I mean, it's, whether it's McCauley Bone or him, it's it's so difficult. And you know, they could say the service, but I mean, the handball is tribute to Maradona. Um, was was the typical QPR would have been easier to just let him hit any part of his body and go in. Um, but he's trying. But like, yeah, the, I watched Scotland the other week because obviously it was miserable watching Northern Ireland get knocked out and we not going to the Euros again, which is sad for for me and my mates who are going to have a nice little drink up. That's gone. Anyway, bingo podcast bingo. Yep, 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 yep. And um, yeah. another QPR link, Ian Barraclough. Thanks. Anyway, so you're kind of looking at the Scottish, and he is different. There's no two words about it. Where they play him differently, when he's got more confidence in the system, when he's got better players around him, he's a, he looks like a ten million pound player playing for Scotland. Whereas for us, that hasn't really happened. But I think a couple of goals against Brentford. Yes, it's the hope that kills us, and he'll be a different player. I'm bags it. I'm not coming on next week. Once we've lost to Brentford, I can't sit here with you again. I, I just <laughs> it will make me so sad. Dear listeners, me and Clive are not actually together. Just so you I know. think I think it's it's going to be a natural product of him sitting in a four four two for Scotland and playing up top on his own, like you said, Finney. For us, he always holds the ball up so deep, so he's not the fastest man in the world. So he's he can't necessarily then hold the ball up, playing other people and get into the box by the time that whoever's put a cross in. It's it's working more towards supplying opportunities for Bright Say Samuel Ilias Chair to have shots just on the edge of the box or to square it to someone else who's faster and can make those runs. Mm. Um, just I, I upset the Scottish people on my message board with my persistent slating of the SPL but I'm going to do it again anyway like we have to remember he's played what 12 championship games in his life um we've already talked about the state of the championship fixtures this year I think Lyndon Dykes has already played 20 games this year if you include Scotland he's already started the season at Livingston and now for us I think he's already 20 games into 20 outings into his season so he's played a hell of a lot of football Warbs was obviously furious the other week when Scotland took him away and played him three times in a week. We're not an easy team to play for, in a, and it is a difficult league. It's a level that he hasn't played at before. So I think you've got to take, and he's, he's still pretty young. So I think you've got to take all of that into consideration. And I thought I saw more from him last night and in the 20 minutes that he got against Watford than I had previously. So he's going in the right direction. And can we just say well done to all our Scottish sisters on reaching the Euros along with England and Wales. And yes, I wait the jokes about the Irish man, the Scottish man and the English man and the Welsh man walking in the pub, but the Irish man didn't make it because he stayed at home. We get it. 
we'll hear it. We're there. It's sad. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, it is weird. Yeah. <laughs> Will you shut up? Otherwise, I will sit with you. But it's weird because when he plays, when he plays for Scotland, he does look like the, the, the whole thing, anything goes through him. And when he plays for us, he, he yeah, there's just, I don't know. But for two million quid, it's not a bad buy, is it? Because we know the potentials are. We know he's going to. It's not like we've brought a dud. We haven't brought a dud. We just brought someone who just needs to get a wee bit better and in tune with what everyone else is doing around him. Ben, are you a little bit concerned? Because I am about the uh, lightness of the squad at the moment. The narrative over the last couple of weeks has been a lot about demands on the players. We touched on it then. Someone like Dykes playing so much international football, and the fact that our squad isn't the biggest and we end up naming quite a few players who haven't haven't played any pro football or or made their like first team debuts yet on the bench is that a bit of a worry because we could end up really struggling yeah you, you know what Flo it's, it's a worry for most teams I think because as as we've said the schedule is just ridiculous um, not not and, for Forest though. Forest have about eight starting elevens that they could they could that's, wheel out. Yeah, that, that's that's true. For, <laughs> Forest can never have too many players. Um, I think. Um, I mean, just going back to Dykes, I have to say my my feeling about him is in general. It's probably sounds too simplistic. I think he looks like a great centre forward with his back to goal. Not such a great centre forward when he's facing goal. Um, and maybe. That is, again, just something that comes from what players he's playing in, what system he's playing in. I don't know. But, yeah, clearly it's a concern that he's not going to be able to start every game just because of the intensity of the fixtures. And there isn't an obvious replacement there. As I said, I think Macaulay Bond is not someone who can lead the line by himself. Um, And the squad as a whole... I mean, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I got into a, an argument on Twitter a few weeks ago when the club brought in um, a number of players in one go. And, and I said, I think that's excessive. I don't think we need all those people coming in at once. And um, and others, as it turned out, quite rightly said, well, yes, but what if such and such gets injured? And then, bang, Luke Amos is out for um, basically, well, months and months. And all of a sudden, uh, you think, actually, perhaps they did need to recruit um, all those players in in one go, um, but the way I look at it is, yeah, injuries are going to be a problem. The depth of the squad is going to be a problem, but in a way, that that's when you find about find out about some of the young players, isn't it? Um, is they'll have to step up. Can they hack it? Um, and in a way, I think that's that's not a bad situation to be in because you know some of them may not be good enough, but others potentially will surprise us. Um, and then we'll be saying, where's, where's this kid been all this time? Uh, and Kelman could be one of those. We might see that as well. I think the, um, the signings, I remember, I remember your Twitter uh, spat, <laughs> Pen. It's, it's sort of two issues, isn't it? We can't keep having these summers where there's enormous turnover of squad. I think Ned and Manua said on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, you're not, you're not going to get anywhere if every summer you're changing eight, nine, ten players in the squad. So there's that to it. And then the other issue, obviously, this year is just a completely unworkable schedule. I, I, we were, ben and I were talking about this earlier today that and I, I put something in the programme last night that football just carrying on this season as if nothing has happened, as if everything is normal. I, I just I shake my head like... 
trying to cram a normal season with all of its cup competitions and all of its internationals and everything into seven months, you know, I get that broadcasters have committed to broadcast contracts and sponsors have committed to, committed to sponsorship of competitions. So it's all very well me saying we shouldn't have a League Cup this year, but obviously Sky have paid to televise it and Fizzy Pop have paid to sponsor it and football needs the money. So it's not that easy. But I do think this season there should have been some pragmatic thinking about do we need League Cup? Do we need EFL Trophy? Do we need FA Cup? I know it's a bit of a sacred cow and the lower teams rely on the prize money. It just feels like, and the internationals going away and playing three internationals in a week, including friendly games. Like, what are England playing Ireland in a friendly for? And then two more games that week. It just to try and cram it in, and lo and behold, the players are now getting injured. I mean, who would have who would have foreseen that? It's, it just feels like an easily telegraphed problem, which they're now trying to solve with this nine substitutes thing. Um, you know, would QPR have loaned out Shadipo and Smith? if they'd known that they would be able to have a bench of nine and five subs, you know, you're now changing the rules mid season from where we were at the start. I suspect at least one of those players might've stayed if we'd known it was going to be nine subs and five that you could use. And the only teams that benefit out of that are the teams that want, that should benefit, deserve to benefit the least. They're the teams that have got the biggest squads and the most money to cope with the fixtures anyway. You know, we're now going in against a team like Watford on Saturday with 37 senior professionals. You know, most of their bench would be the best player in our team. And yet, so they're benefiting from being able to bring them on. Whereas we've got kids on our bench. I mean, you look, Alpha's on the bench, never played. Kelman's never played at this level. I just, it seems like a sticking plaster for a problem that was easily telegraphed at the start of the season. See, my, my rap was, why the hell was the Nation League played? A complete waste of time. You know, the Nations League, I don't get at all anyway. Not because we, <clears throat> if we carry on in the Nations League, we're going to end up in the conference. But it just seems to be like unnecessary. And, you know, maybe just Clive, I, I hate agreeing with Clive because it makes me feel wrong. But, I'd, you know, maybe get rid of the League Cup this year because we're, we're crap at it anyway. But it's pointless in some respects because of the fixing congestion. And just get the league finished with the FA Cup, we'd have probably done it and, um, and get rid of the Nations League of Friendlies. There's no reason for them. Couldn't agree more. Um, on to sunnier things, sort of. We'll find out from Ben. Ben, you have a book out. Exciting news. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I should probably hold. I should probably hold it up here. There we are. That is it. Lovely picture of uh, myself, a younger self, there on the cover. That was uh, Car- Cardiff, two thousand three. Um, I know there's been so many occasions like that that we could it could have been at. Um, yeah, so there, so there's the book. It's called Are You Rangers in Disguise? Um, and uh, you know, people ask you how did you spend lockdown, the first lockdown? Um, and that was uh, how I spent most of my first lockdown was uh, was putting that book together, which um, I found it was a good way of spending the time. It was actually um, quite good fun look, looking back over some of my. My old newspaper cuttings and uh, and things like that, and um, the the way it's it's come out. So, um, and I should actually just get in there as well. Um, my thanks to Kevin Gallon who contributed the forward. Sorry, the forward who contributed the forward. You could say um, for for that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, many thanks to him as well. And what um what motivated you to write the book? What made you want to? 
lots of memories of QPR getting beaten into a book and live it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, um, I mean, firstly, yeah, there was, as I say, it was a time when uh, you think if you're ever going to write a book, it's probably now when you've not got terribly much else to do. Um, I think the reason was that I feel personally, um, I kind of have come to a, a point where I've almost come full circle in my, if you like, quote, relationship with, with Queen's Park Rangers. Um, the book is basically about how uh, I think a lot of sports journalists, that the dream is to end up uh, reporting on the club that you support. Um, it's not something that happens for everyone. Uh, I was fortunate enough. Um, I um, got to, uh, to, to do that through local newspapers to be paid to, to report on, on QPR. And yeah, for me, that was the absolute dream. Um, and this was, I think, early, early 2005 is when I started doing that. And as we all know, a few years down the line, there were some very dramatic changes at the club. Um, I, I think that no one could have foreseen. Um, and over that time, I basically found myself really struggling, I suppose, with the question of um, how do I feel about this club that I don't really recognise anymore? It's not the club I grew up with. Um, and when you've got a job to do, uh, reporting on the club, that can be quite difficult when, when you're really very, very um, uncomfortable with the direction that it's going in. Um, and, uh, and I guess for me, uh, I got to a point where I just felt I, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, and, and I don't really want to go to, to matches and I'm not enjoying it. Um, so, so I guess in answer to your question, it's a very long, long-winded answer. But um, I, I guess in the last few years, I, I sort of felt, well, no, I, I do enjoy, you know, um, going going to games again. I do feel like, I suppose, a hundred percent fan, if you like, as opposed to maybe a a reluctant fan, perhaps. Um, and and so that's why it felt like a good time to to recount. Um, some of those uh, some of those crazy times because they really were crazy times I mean everyone's familiar with the four-year plan um, but I would say to, to most people that only really tells the half of it um, to, to be quite honest um, yeah there's some great um, some great quotes that you've put on your website which are from the book from Kevin Gallen, David Bardsley, Hogan Ephraim and Ian Holloway which I think sum up that quite well and Ian Holloway's one is why don't you take your brain out of your head and make it into an omelette which is quite classic Holloway because he always has good one-liners but yeah it it must have been quite stressful for you to have to cover a, a, a chaotic club that you also you know don't want to you don't want them to go bust and you want them to do well so having to balance that and, and make sure that you're doing your job properly but also telling the truth is really difficult right yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, particularly during during that era, you know, there was a lot of nonsense being being spun during the the Briatory Eccleston years. Um, we're all aware of that. Um, and I think the thing that, well, I, I certainly remember having having conversations with certainly with Finney um, and uh, possibly with Clive as well um, about the total disconnect from the fan base, um, which we saw. Um, 
you know, I, I think at the outset, no one quite knows what's going to happen with new owners. And you think, well, well, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, it might be a good thing. And I think what what clearly or quickly became clear to me was these people, not only they had no interest in the, the history, the traditions of the club, they had no interest in talking to anyone who who understood it. Um, and, and that just became very, very clear. But of course, that only goes to a point because while there's chaos on the pitch as well, which there was for, for a good few years, then fans are, are feeling that disconnect as well. And then suddenly, one season out of the blue, along comes um, Neil Warnock and uh, builds a whole new team. Suddenly the team's winning. Um, and I think that for me was actually the most difficult season because uh, I didn't enjoy that season at all. Um, and that sounds crazy because as a fan, how, how would you not enjoy that season? They're sweeping the championship before them, playing some fantastic football, going back to the Premier League for the first time in 15 years. You know, but coupled with that was the difficulty for me of, of doing a job and, and the fact that the manager particularly was very hard to deal with. Um, was making it very hard to, to, to deal with other people at the club as well. Um, and so I think, I think during that season for me, I, I just felt more and more uh, disconnected, I suppose, really, um, with, with what was going on. Because I just felt I should be enjoying this, but it's not, it's not enjoyable from, from a working point of view. Um, and, that, and that's, I guess, what I've tried to explain in the book. And maybe I've managed to do that maybe I haven't um, but uh, I think yeah it was, it was a very strange time really with with those two those two things going on as, as a fan and in a professional capacity and, it, and I guess it shows perhaps what can happen when you get too close to the club you support um, there are a lot of people who've who've worked at the club and would say similar things I think that they ended up uh, you know, perhaps uh, disillusioned, perhaps embittered, and certainly not not particularly wanting to go to matches anymore. Um, yeah, so so it's a strange one to try and balance out, I suppose. Before it was that, tricky. To, then, it, sorry, it, sorry, it wasn't exactly a, a barrel of laughs before that with Palladini in charge, um, and like different kinds of chaos at the other end of the financial scale with with all of that. I know a lot of people left the club, and a lot of fans were sort of targeted during that time, particularly unpleasant time at the club presumably nearer the start nearer the start of your book that one yeah absolutely I mean I think if you look at sliding doors moments in in the history of the club yeah one would certainly be the point where Palladini took sole control um, because that that is is when things started to take a a particular course Um, I mean look I think everyone everyone has had to some interaction with with Gianni Palladini over the years and um, I I think you know it certainly wasn't dull I mean uh, I've not forgotten I've I've written about this that um, you know the man was uh, astonishingly indiscreet Um, I mean I I think the first time I I ever may have been in fact yeah the first time I met him certainly first time I met him formally um, at the ground um, and, and one of the first things he did was to uh, to take out a, a folder, which was the uh, the playing staff's wage bill, um, and he's just said to me, "Look, this is this is what we're paying. Here's 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 what everyone's earning," which I thought was, you know, quite incredible to 
to, to, to give me that information, really. Uh, I think he was trying to make the point that we're not, you know, we're, we're living within a budget or whatever, but um, uh, it was it was an incredible thing to, to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think the big problem, of course, was, um, as we all know now, he was obviously the man who was, who was uh, buying and selling all the players. But, of course, if uh, a player worked out, he would take the credit. If the player didn't work out, Oh, it's the manager's fault. He wanted him. He, he you know, and he's rubbish. So his fault. Um, and we just saw that that continue, really, didn't we? Um, I mean, uh, I get. I guess. Look, we, we've all got our own favourites or anti-favourites of of worst players and things like that. But uh, you know, I, I think the way that uh, some of the signings were, were described um, or, or what they were made out to be was was just unbelievable. Um, and uh, I'm just going to drop the, the name uh, Armel Chakunti in there, and you, you can take it from there. I'll let uh, I'll let Finney have a swing at Palladini after this. But just to say, I had exactly the same uh, situ- uh, experience with him and the contracts. Um, going in to do an interview with him and being handed Nick Ward's contract about a day after he'd signed, and just being able to leaf through it and see what he was on, bonuses, what it went up to after two years. Just like, I mean, I was a 21, 22-year-old kid running a website at that point. And, you know, the guy that's running the football clubs just handed me one of the, like, that summer's big signing. It's like, here's his contract, here's what he's on. I mean, yeah, just so weird and a lot of unpleasantness, which I'm sure Finney would, uh, Finney would spend the rest of the night tucking into, given the chance. Well, not really. I mean, it's, it's been and gone and, you know, I mean, I ended up having to pay flipping legal fees over it, which wasn't very pleasant. Um, I only came here to support a football club and um, try and do my best for it, as I did. And I made huge mistakes. I picked a fight with probably, you know, someone who I couldn't believe how dirty they would fight. And people were targeted. People were put under pressure. You know, there's all kind of weird shit going on at the club at the time. And he he wasn't a very pleasant individual, no matter how. But if, if you if he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't like you, you weren't welcome. And that's pretty much it is. I mean, I was banned, but it was the worst banning ever because I brought a season ticket in my name. I sat in my seat, and nothing ever happened. I felt completely ne- neglected with the banning order. But yeah, he, he, you know, the AGMs. I don't know if you remember them, Ben. They were quite and Clive as well. You were a few of them. They were just. They're almost like a soap opera within two hours and they were insane. And the wages and the stuff that journalists were getting was incredible because I felt for the players because, you know, whatever you think of them, they shouldn't have the, the wages disclosed to the public and stuff like that there. But there's a lot of bad things. But listen, I could go on about it for hours, but it's gone now. He's gone. And going back to that season, um, I know what you mean because Ben when you, and Clive and, and, and Flo, everyone, it gets too close to the club and up. By having meetings and meeting people, we kind of get drawn into it. Behind the scenes, we all knew if we weren't going to go up, we were probably going to go bust. And that was, for me, I can see what you mean by the worry and the stress. Because you think, if this goes wrong and we don't make it, we might not have a football club. You know, I, th- I think there was, uh, there was two aspects to that, really, uh, Finney. There was that, that side of it. But I think there was also the knowledge that if they did succeed, if they did get promoted, there was no plan for what to do next um and i mean as as we know that's that's exactly how it played out because you know i've got to give credit to to the manager at the time because at at championship level his record is fantastic and he took 
um, a bunch of no-hopers and turn them into a, a title-winning side in one season. Um, but the reality is he's not a Premier League manager. He's never been good enough to be a Premier League manager, in my opinion. Um, and inevitably, what was going to happen was just this massive turnover of players because the majority of the players that have got promoted were not going to be good enough uh, at, at Premier League level either. Um, so I think you contrast that with with other clubs around that time who, who you saw go up on the basis of, of having made progress over sort of three or four years and they have foundations. And you just knew there were no foundations there in place at, at, at QPR um, and that it was just going to end. Ultimately, it was going to end badly. There might be, you know, a year or two in, in the Premier League, which is as it, as it turned out. But um, I mean, looking back, who, who can say... The bulk of that was particularly enjoyable. Um, in the long run, it, it, it probably wasn't. Um, and, and I just, I, I liken it, I suppose, to, um, you know, the old, the old saying about monkeys and typewriters. If you, if you have them bashing away for long enough, they'll, they'll produce the works of Shakespeare. Um, and, and that was the only plan, I think, at, at, at Rangers, was uh, if we just hire enough managers if we sign as many players as we can sooner or later we'll, we'll stumble on that winning formula and then it'll all be fine um and uh yeah i suppose they could say well in the end they did stumble on that winning formula for one season but um yeah long term it, it wasn't ever going to end well i felt then he can't really in, in warnock's defense when he took over we were we were heading for league one there was no two words about it and we beat west brom three nil three one something like that i can't remember I remember being bloody shocked how well we played after. And there's no question that, I mean, he had the highest rec- the highest place and we had to be returned from the, the premiership was under him. I don't think there's any credentials as a manager. But again, Ben, it's, it's going to be one of them things. If he likes you, he likes you and it's fine. If he doesn't like you, then your life is completely different. Your whole thing is different. But I also think with with that squad of players, he did his, it, 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 the takeover happened too late. So we didn't get a chance to really build a team and then he was trying to buy players and the owner wanted to buy players and it all went completely pear-shaped. Uh, I think he deserves credit for turning that squad around, which is what you've done. You've said that, which is fine. Would we have survived with him? I don't know. Um, we did survive, but I don't, it, it was it's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's, it was such a weird season. That, I mean, remember we, we beat Everton 1-0 away and I was... Clive, I think you were at that game, weren't you? And... I was actually shocked how well we played because, you know, we against them, you look at the squad, you think there's no way we're even on the same pitch as them, but we got a win. Premier League, playing a Premier League game with uh, Patrick Aguimang involved and you win is... Uh, is that's I didn't want to be that rude, but yes. <laughs> but it's true, though, isn't it, Clive? I mean, he managed to get results, Ben, when I thought it was impossible and then he was sacked and they threw money at it. It's, it's just typical QPR. I remember once being asked what, what's going to happen. I goes, well, if there's ever a team that can spunk a million pound, billion pounds and not do anything, it'll be us. And um, lo and behold. But yeah, but the sad thing is in between the Briatore years and Paladini years, we did lose QPR's identity a little bit as well with the money and everything else and being everyone's second favourite club and being this lovely us against the world. You know, and, and I loved that attitude of, but that was installed by Holloway. It was never going to last. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, actually, Finney. It kind of brings me back to um, what uh, Neda Manua was, was saying, I think, the other week on, on the podcast about identity. Mm. Um, and that was one of the things that, that really 
stood out in, in that time. Uh, the, the club did not have an identity, or, or it certainly didn't have an identity that uh, I think people were proud of. Um, I mean, one of the things, uh, look, I, it's been one of my bugbears for years, uh, and certainly during those years, was just um, the type of players that, that were being recruited. Um, and having spoken to Rangers players from, I suppose, the 90s, that, that sort of era, they all tend to be in agreement. They said the reason, you know, that uh, the teams, if you like, punched above their weight at that time it was because of where most of those players had come from. They'd either come through the youth team or they'd come from lower division clubs and playing for Queen's Park Rangers was, was their big chance, uh, the, the chance on the big stage. Um, and if we look at that, that team from 2010-11, uh, Probably someone like Clint Hill comes into that category. QPR was his big chance and he really made the most of it. Um, by and large, just weren't many others that, that came into that category. And, and this is what I like about, about what the club is doing now is, is they seem to be through necessity, I suppose, that they're, they're trying to look down that route again um, and find players and, and develop them. And I mean, for me, that, that's, what, that's what the club has always been about. Is, is about developing players, making them into better players. And yeah, sometimes you have to sell them on, but uh, that's that's the process. And, and it's something that just didn't happen at all during all those years, I think. Palladini years, Briatore years, um, was really just uh, completely uh, com completely ignored. And uh, and yeah, that, that took something out of the soul of the club, if you want. Um, and, and let's hope we're, we're getting that back now. I know one thing I will give Pardini credit for, and I can't believe I'm saying this because he hated me and I didn't like him, but he did bring Ali Fuller into the club, so that's all I'm saying. One of the greatest midfielders I've seen in a long time. So there you go. Every cloud and all well, that. Well, um, you, can, um, you can relive the chaos, um, that the roller coaster that we all got taken on over those years, and buy Ben's book. Uh, if you head to his website, benkoski.com, there's an Amazon hyperlink. And there's also a little bit about the book and some of the quotes that I mentioned earlier, which are some uh, some classic quotes. Uh, I'll certainly from people be bad who... at Oh, I hope so. I mean, don't tell that to me. Buy that. Tell it to Ben. It's his book. <laughs> like he... I'm, I'm yeah. de delighted, delighted to hear that. And, um, you know, there's, yeah, there's a few, there's a few classic quotes in there, I hope. I hope there's a few uh, amusing uh Memories as well, you know. It certainly wasn't all um, bad times by by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, uh, look at some of the characters we, we had to, to to deal with at the time, and uh, Ian Holloway being an obvious one. Um, John Gregory, I would say, was was a fascinating character to deal with. Um, you know, uh, he, he certainly uh, how can I say wasn't uh, you know so, so certainly wasn't dull. Life life was never dull. He, he did try and um, start sure. a third world war with China single-handedly. <laughs> you can't take that from him. Well, one I tell you, I mean, I mean, one of the interesting things we, we talk about quotes, and I actually look back at when, when John Gregory was first appointed manager and some of the things he, he said at the time. Um, and one of the things he said was, uh, um, I, I words to the effect of, I, I like to see people having a ruck on the training ground. You know, if, if you haven't had a, a punch up, um, then you're not you're not doing it right or something like that. So you look at, you look at that with hindsight and you think, well, maybe, uh, you know, the, the China thing was all, all part of the grand plan. I don't know. Well, maybe well not there's, certainly, there's certainly a lot of memories uh, in those years too. I'm sure last a lifetime, Ben. Um, before we wrap up and get on to ours end, 
Big game on Friday. Finney's biggest game in the season, always. Uh, on on uh, Sky Sports mega box office or whatever it's called these days. Predictions? How are we feeling? Finney, I'll start with you because I know you're the most emotionally connected to this game than anyone. Well, no, the reason why, all right, I'll go back to this. Me and Brentford don't get honest because I once got chased by a load of Brentford fans that I thought were Stoke City supporters because I didn't really come in contact with Brentford that much. And I was quite surprised how much venom they had for us. Dear God. They got even more upset when I went, are you Stoke? <laughs> anyway, um, I, I will take a 2 all draw. I will take a 1-0 win off Dyke's arse in the last minute. I will take a cup of tea with anything in it as long as we win. Win, win, win. Yep, I concur with that one. Ben, anything else to say? But I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good prediction. Well, I, well, I'm just going to use the opportunity to give uh, my book one last plug, which is to say that there are actually no mentions of Brentford in it at all. And even more uh, reason for you to buy it, Finney. There even you go. even more reason. Book. And I, and I was asked by by a Brentford fan about it. He, he said, "Are there any good stories in Brentford about Brentford?" I said, "Why would there be? You know, we never played Brentford back then." So, um, so I think that's important to point out. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, uh, given given the record in recent years, it's hard to be confident. Um, but with that said, we're going to a new stadium. Sometimes strange things happen when you play at a new stadium for the first time. Um, and Brentford, have, they, they, they've not looked sensational so far. They've, they've done okay, I think, but they've not looked quite as formidable perhaps as in previous years. So I'm going to be optimistic, and, and in my book, Optimistic says uh, we get a point. So we'll go 1-1. One, one. <laughs> well, optimism as a QPR fan is, is, uh, isn't that exciting, is it? Uh, Clive, how about you? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> You're just going to pretend it's not happening. Yeah. Uh, roll, back, roll back the years instead, Ben, with uh, Ian Holloway's five minutes with BBC Radio Humberside at the weekend, which I think is pretty easy to find on Twitter. Uh, lost 5-0 at Tranmere, sacked two players in the first two minutes of the interview, which Grimsby have now had to row back on and say that they're still under contract, and then spent the last five minutes uh, trying to start an actual physical fight with the guy doing the interview. So... Uh, Worth five minutes of anybody's time, more than probably Friday nights is anyway. Oh. Uh, I'm going to go with Finney's prediction of 1-0 off Dyke's arse. Um, that will be my my evening sorted. Um, ours end, I made the executive decision this week that we would focus on one ours end only. So if anyone has any other ours end that they want to contribute to, sorry. Um, but it felt like an important point to make uh, about the fact that it's Kyan Prince's 30th birthday today and the, the club has as always with their support of the, the foundation and the family dedicated this day and, and asked fans to wear a shirt which both Finney and Clive are doing and also donate to the charity which is massively important. There is a number that you can text and, and that will go directly to the charity I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. But if you go on Twitter, you can find it. It's one of those super easy text this and your money goes straight in. So it's really, really easy, really important charity that needs all your support, serving the local community when it needs it most. We've had Mark Prince on a few times on this podcast. Amazing man. Uh, you know, I, I still remember and I, it gives me goosebumps watching him 
the day that we opened the stadium and called it the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium, like that moment and the video footage of him and his family standing on the side of the pitch, like my hairs are literally standing up right now thinking about it. So such an important cause and the charity doing amazing work. So if you can spare any any cash, that, that would be amazing. And we're hoping if we can get the um, the licensing and the tech to work to be playing some of the interview that Chris Charles did with Mark uh, with BT Sport as part of Black History Month when he talked about the work and Kyan and everything like that. So, yeah, obviously something that's really important to the club horrible tragic loss but something that has had a massive impact and and there's a powerful legacy there so that is our ours end I don't know if anyone wants to add anything else before we hopefully play out with a bit of Mark Prince the number is uh 70490 and you have to text KPF uh, and the pound sign and five uh to donate five pounds to that and um, presumably you could date, donate more if you want but yeah KPF Pound sign five to seven zero four nine zero. And Thank I just you, want to Clive. send. I, I just want to send huge love to Mark and his family. How you recover from that, God only knows. And he's a lovely man. And um, yeah, lots of love. You can only see with your children if they've taken on board things as they grow. Um, and then when you see it in reality, and you know, you go to Queens Park Rangers, and and they're telling you that they want to, you know, take him on and sign him even earlier than. He was only 15. They wanted to put him with the over-18s and put him in the first team. They had some great plans for, for Klein. And then you really could see every time he hit on that pitch, his mindset and his drive to score and win tackles. He just had a wonderful leadership quality about him. I always try and put people in that, in that picture, you know. Look at your child and that's a, every person's worst nightmare to think something could happen to your, your child. And my worst nightmare came true. So Kyan, at 15 years old, was um, at school. In fact, he was outside the school gates. And um, they noticed a fight breaking out, like, like what happens at, at every school. And Kyan went to break it up, like he always does. Um, so he went to break it up peaceably. Um, the guy pulled a knife out and uh, from the feedback I've got, kind of said, you know, what are you doing with that? You know, put it away, man. And the guy went for him as Kyan tried to go away from the situation when he realised and saw the knife. And uh, when I saw Kyan's body, I saw marks from the knife on his forearm. So you could see he was blocking him. One, one got through straight into his heart. And um, yeah, he, he died outside his school in front of his friends and everyone. I, I think I lost my mind. At some point, if you saw me at times, you'd have seen me shuffling around. You know, sometimes you see, I don't know people who've seen people that's mentally ill and they've had injections and they've had stuff to try and sedate them and they're just shuffling around. That, that was me. If you looked at me at certain stages after my son died, you'd see me just shuffling around the table for hours. Just, and then I'd make some mad, crazy, screaming, crying noises, and I'd go back to shuffling again. 
So it was just a, a real, um, it was a real testing time in, in, in my life, a, a test that I, 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 I didn't think I had any strength to deal with and, and tackle. You know, it, it was, um, it comes like a tsunami, <sighs> phone call. Um, and all these crazy feelings and thoughts, and you've got to drive to the hospital and find out what's going on with your son. Then another wave comes, a doctor comes out and tells you that he's tried to massage your son's heart and keep him alive. And then something happens to you where you don't even know. It, 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 your head goes, your body reacts, it's like it just, it, it goes before you, it takes over. You're, it's like you're not, you're not equipped for news like that. You, you can't handle news like that. The noise that comes out of you, the noise that I heard come out of Tracy, Kyan's mum, <clears throat> the noises and the feeling that you get surging up through your body. Oh. When you leave seeing your son's dead body and it goes from warm to cold, you're, you're lost, you're paralysed yourself. You know, as, as individuals, we like to be in control, don't we? I realised then I had no control. I had no control over whether my children could live or die. I have no control over um, things outside of me. The only control I had was what I decided to choose to do. What direction was I, did I want? and decided well, what can I do to honour my son and how when I get to meet him and see him again, um, what do I want to be able to say to him? So I'm, whatever it is I want to be able to say to him, I'm going to have to do that now. So it didn't matter how hard that was going to be, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I just decided that I was going to do something that was going to honour his life and I was going to show other young people about him and how they could all be little kinds. If I could save a parent from my pain, save a child from, my, from, what, um, from what my child had to go through, then I'll do whatever that takes. My message for anyone that's struggling in, in whatever area they're struggling in, to ask yourself, what do you want? That's the most important question, because that's what I ask myself. What do you want, Mark? You're, 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 you think you're finished. You've got no strength to move on. You've got no, you've got no vision about your future. It's just grief. You're in pain. But what do you want? And when I sat down and I thought about it, I said, I want a, I want a, I want a legacy for my son. I want to be able to show other young people that they are no different than Kyan. They could achieve and leave a legacy even at 15 by kindness, by thinking right, by self-belief, by wanting to achieve goals. And you can do the same. Every young person can do the same. Every grown-up, everyone with mental health issues can do the same. You're the only person on the planet like you. There is no one else like you, no one else with your DNA, no one else with your makeup. So you're here for a purpose. Do not give up. Decide what you want and go for it.